Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. First of all, when you read this scripture, if it's a good fight, that means you win. It's not a good fight if you don't win. We're not playing seven and under baseball or basketball where all that matters is the snacks after the game. We believe in fighting a good fight. We believe in winning. So one of the things we're going to do in this series is we're going to teach you how to fight the good fight of faith victoriously every day of your life. But also, if it's a fight, it indicates you have an opponent. And one of the things, I believe the general Sun Tzu said, that if you want to be successful in war or in battle, you must know yourself and you must know your enemy. So today we're talking about fight, know yourself and know your enemy. So go to 1 Peter chapter 5. In order to be successful in any war or battle, you must know your opponent. First Peter chapter 5. Glory to Jesus. First Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 8. So key one today, fighting the good fight of faith, know your enemy. Number one, know your enemy. Notice what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says. Be sober, be vigilant, stay awake and be alert. Because your adversary, your opponent, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, when considering our adversary, our opponent, the devil, church people have many different views of him. Some are based on scripture and some aren't. Some see the fierce dragon in the book of Revelation that battles against tribulation saints and makes the nations quake in fear. They see that fierce dragon the Antichrist bows to, and that's how they imagine the devil in their minds. Or some read this scripture and picture a fearsome lion prowling around trying to devour people. But I want you to reread this scripture with me again. Let's say, read it together in verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. See, the thing is you can't view your opponent through the eyes of popular culture through movies, through religion, or fear passed down from generation to generation. If you're going to look at your opponent correctly, you have to view him through two lenses. You have to view him through the lens of the empty tomb and the inhabited throne. Because Jesus raised from the dead, threw off all principality and power, defeated the enemy, and then he sat down at the right hand of God, and Ephesians 2 says, you're seated there with them. So if you don't see the enemy through those lenses, you have an incorrect view of your enemy. Because what happens if you don't see it through those lenses, you begin to give glory to the devil. 
People go, oh, well, the devil's doing this. Oh, the devil's doing that. The devil's been busy. Oh, my goodness. The devil, the devil, the devil. Oh, but I don't know what little old God can do to help me because the devil's so big and bad in these days. And if you listen to a lot of Christians, that's how they song, sound. Even if you go back to some testimony services. You know, they're supposed to testify what God has done, but it takes about 10 minutes to see what Jesus did because they all talk about the devil and crazy people and their family. You must view your opponent through the work of Christ, through his resurrection, his ascension, and his seeing at the right hand. Notice what it says here, that he goes around as a roaring lion. Did not say he is one. He likes to pretend like he's one, to intimidate you. And it says, seeking whom he may devour. If he has to seek or look for those who he may devour, that means he can't devour everybody. So when it comes to your opponent, there's two categories, two categories, whom he can devour and whom he can't devour. So you have to review your opponent. He's not almighty. He's not all-powerful. He's not unbeatable. He is a defeated foe. So not only are you not facing some fearsome dragon or a fierce lion to you, believer, you are looking at a defeated foe who was beaten with the worst whooping in history. You're not just trying to take on somebody who's in your class. You have to understand when God created you and when you were born again, you were born again into the God class. There's the Trinity up here, and then there's you. Then there's the ministering spirits, the angels of God. Then there's the fallen angels with Satan as one. So number one, Satan is not even in your class. Number two, he was beaten with the worst whooping in history. Number three, Jesus rose up with all power in his hands, said, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. When you look at it that way, the person who's causing you the issues in your life, in some instances, is not a match for you. You have to review your enemy. It even says when you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, when the last day comes and Satan receives his judgment, that the princes of the earth are going to look at him and go, you, you're the one that caused all this mess? They're going to be unimpressed when they see him. So why are you impressed right now? Stop being so impressed with the devil and get impressed with your God and his word. So if you want to fight the good fight of faith, know your enemy. Stop giving glory to him. See him for who he really is. Now in the world, in the world system, he's the God or the overseer of that system. But you're not in that system. You've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son or the son of his love. We'll be talking about the laws of the kingdom on Wednesdays. You're not in his system. He has no power over you. Colossians says that Jesus has delivered you from the authority of darkness. So Satan can't make you do anything, Christians. He doesn't have enough power. Go to John 16. John chapter 16. Look at verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. 
Look at the words of Jesus. These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have what? Underline that word peace is important to our message today. In the world you shall have tribulation. In the world you will have pressure. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When you look at that phrase, be of good cheer, it's translated be of good cheer, but also be of good courage. It's also translated in the Gospels, be of good comfort. It's a call to courage and boldness. So we cannot be afraid of challenges and pressure. No giant, no champion. Every great victor, every great champion had to fight some battles. So don't view the battle you're facing right now as some great onslaught by some unbeatable foe. See it for what it really is. Notice the word overcome, it means to conquer, to vanquish, to subdue, to get the victory. When I was looking at the word in the Greek and looking at different commentaries, Rick Renner said it this way, it's a continuous and abiding victory. A continuous and abiding victory. What does that mean? Jesus didn't just overcome the world and then leave, now you have to fight. The victory Jesus gave you overcame the world then, overcomes the world now, and will always overcome the world. So any problem you face, you have to view it, I've already been made an overcomer of this situation. Remember, you have to know your enemy and you have to know yourself. You are an overcomer, Christian. You are more than a conqueror. And you have to see yourself that way if you want to have the victory in your life. There is nothing and no one that can stop the overcoming power of Christ. The victory is abiding, it overcomes, it overcame, and it will forever overcome. So be of good cheer, because he's made you more than a conqueror and given you an overwhelming victory that can more than handle your opponent. Jesus defeated him so that you can trample him in your life every single day. Go to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. And if you're new here, you'll find out we go to a lot of scriptures because we believe that you don't just take the word of a preacher because a preacher said it. You take what the word of God says. Same thing goes with whatever you see on TV. Just because it's on a Christian network or a so-called Christian network, if they can't back it up with the Bible, don't believe it. We have to learn as the body of Christ to grow up and stop being gullible. Ephesians 4 talks about maturity is you're not tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. How do you grow up by getting in the Bible for yourself? That means you can't just open it up on your app or in your lap on Sundays. You got to open it every day and read it. Don't wait till the end of the day to read it. You can open up and the Lord says, start your day in the word. Make it your habit. One of the things, since I just mentioned Rick Renner, I remember one of the times he said how he got himself into a habit of reading the Word every day. He made a commitment to his body. If I don't read the Word of God, I won't eat. Y'all got quiet because we know we all like to eat. <laughs> and think about it, if you made that commitment to yourself, some of y'all be word champions by next month. And before I eat, I'm going to read the Word. Smith Wigglesworth took it to a whole nother level. He kept a Bible with him. This, of course, was before they had iPads and iPhones with that app. He kept a little New Testament in his jacket pocket. 
He said he didn't feel completely dressed if he didn't have one on him. And every time before they had any meal, when people were with them, he would say, well, if we're about to feed our flesh, let's feed our spirit real quick. And he'd read a few scriptures from the Word of God. And God used that man of God to be an apostle of faith, and they debate whether he raised 18 to 23 people from the dead by the power of the Holy Ghost. A lot of us are still working on number one. If you have to have people debate after you've died, whether it was 18 to 23, I think you knew something about Jesus. And he made it important to feed on the Word of God. When he was in his 80s, I believe Lester Summerall came to his house. And he was saying, because he was about to bring the newspaper in, and he says, don't bring that garbage into my house. And Lester Summerall was kind of caught off guard. What do you mean? Because this is during World War II. And he says, don't worry what they said. They don't know what they're talking about. He said, Hitler and Mussolini will be dead and in hell soon, so stop stressing. Whew. And they were in the last couple years. Somebody knew God. And so when he came in the house, he said, well, how are you feeling today? He said, I don't ask Smith how he feels. I tell him how he feels. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by what I believe, and I believe the Word of God. But a lot of times we're moved by a whole lot of other stuff. We're moved by the news, we're moved by what people say, we're moved by negative emotions, we're moved by a whole bunch of crazy stuff. But the only thing that should move us is the Word of the living God. We have to be Word people. You know, one of the things they say in America, there's a whole bunch of Christians, but most Christians in America aren't Word people. They're led by everything else but the book. We must follow what thus saith the Word, and we must be people who rightly divide the Word of truth which means you don't make a doctrine just because you found one scripture. You don't make a doctrine just because you open up and it fell somewhere. Scripture supports scripture. And if you study it long enough and you read it long enough, you'll know exactly how to walk. Because what happens in the body of Christ is people get on the extreme or get into the ditch on one side or the other. And usually the truth is right in the middle of the road. But you must follow the book if you want to live the way God has for you to live. So Psalm 91, verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Let's keep down to verse 8. Only with thy eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High thy habitation, there shall no evil, not just a little bit of evil, no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Why? For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Another translation says he's given his angels charge over you to keep you from falling. Notice verse 13, because you're in the secret place, which is the place that's where you're led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, because he's given his angels charge over you, because you are saying of the Lord, because you took the covenant and he put it in your mouth, thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shall thou trample under feet. Because you have a Psalm 91 covenant, 
No matter how the world or the church views the devil, whether they say the dragon or the lion, you have scripture says that dragon, that lion belongs under my feet. Go to Romans 16. Let's prove it more. You are called to trample the enemy. Your enemy is supposed to be under your feet. If he gets higher than your heel, he is too high. Romans 16. Look at verse 20. Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise or shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. Notice two things. God of peace. Remember, Jesus said, I'm saying these things that you might have peace. And notice he once again shows you where the enemy is supposed to be, under your feet. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Peace and the enemy under your feet. Not having high carnival in your house, as Dad Hagen used to say. Not throwing a party and being in charge. You must take your authority. Can't let Satan do whatever he wants in your house. You give him an inch, he'll take a country mile. Don't let him out from under your feet. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. We'll talk about that in this series. Notice whose armor is it? So when you look at Isaiah, it says that when God would go to battle, he had armor he would wear. So it's telling you, put on the armor that God wears. Remember in the Old Testament, let's go deep for a second. When David tried to put on the armor of Saul, could he wear it? No, why? It didn't fit him. Paul is telling you about the Holy Ghost, put on God's armor, because it fits you. God made you more than a conqueror. He made you an overcomer. He made you in his image, in his likeness. He's called you to do greater things than he ever thought possible. You were born again of not incorruptible seed or of corruptible seed. You were born again of incorruptible seed. So if the word made you, the word can fix you. Amen. One of the things we're going to do in this series, we're going to teach you how to stand on the word for your healing. So whether you can get to the church where gifts of healing, healing on is flowing or not, you don't have to wait a few days to get healed. You can get healed right then. Because if the word made you, the word can fix you. And the thing is, well, you can stand on the word and get a whole new part. It says, oh, I'll be on the waiting list. Well, you can be on the waiting list with them, but you can get your faith set and they go, ooh, what happened? You got a new part. Where did that come from? It's another lesson, but there's a spare parts room in heaven. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And verse 11, I want you to underline the word wiles because we'll look at that. But notice he says stand against, against this, against that. He's letting you know, he's reiterizing, reiterizing. 
who your enemy is. The word against means face to face. So although your battle may start where it looks like you're looking Satan and his demon cohorts in the eyes, you have to know that you know on the bottom of your heart, echoing throughout your soul till he comes out of your mouth, he's going to end up under my feet. You must be dogmatic about that. You must be stubborn in faith about that. Don't settle for a little bit of victory. Take absolute, total victory. I'm not letting up till he's under my feet, and once he's there, I'm keeping him there. Jesus paid too great a price for me to live defeated. You were born again to win. Not born again to just barely get by. Not born again to lose. Not born again to get victory in a sweet by and by. You were born again to win in this life. Because he's telling you to put on the whole armor of God, not when you get to heaven. Scratch up the streets of gold up there. This armor is for now. So that you can be victorious every day of your life. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, what is the evil day? Whenever the devil attacks. Whenever temptation, trial, or pressure, or affliction comes your way. That you may be able to stand, and having done all, stand, stand therefore. Now he's not saying, whew, I barely made it. I survived. No, 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 stand victoriously. Stand with the enemy under your feet. Not just I made it through and I'm so glad I beat the devil running. No, no, no. You stand victorious with him under your feet. So stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of what? Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet covered in the preparation and the readiness of the gospel of peace. Jesus said, I'm speaking these things that you might have peace. Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. Now, one of the things you have to understand about these shoes, Paul, remember at this time, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And so God is giving him an example, and he's comparing what God is saying to what the Roman soldier wears. And the Roman soldier's shoes were not just, you know, flip-flops he would wear, but they were things that strapped up from about the knee down, and on the bottom of those shoes were two to three inches spikes. So that if they fought in dangerous terrain, it would hold them in place. That lets me know that no matter what you're facing in life today, the peace of God that passes all understanding can guard and keep your heart and your mind. So you can be in perfect peace, perfect calmness, perfect tranquility, no matter what is going on in your life. And you have that calm insurance on the inside. When it's all said and done, I win. He'll crush them under your feet. Not under, just his feet. You're the body of Christ. So he'll crush them under your feet. So with these shoes on, you can't be pushed around by the enemy. He can't move you. As the Lord reminded us earlier, you have to say like Paul, none of these things move me. You have to be steadfast. You have to put some endurance to your faith. Christianity is not the belief system for the weak. It is the belief system of the strong. Because if you actually believe it, if you were weak, he'll make you strong. 
So although the enemy attacks, you can't whine and cry and run away. You got to look him directly in his face. Not the best you got. You're going to end up under my feet. There must be some determination mixed with your faith. You must be willing to endure. You must be willing to fight the good fight of faith. Go to Luke 10. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life, you can walk in the greatest peace. Because not only is peace part of your armor, peace is a fruit of the Spirit on the inside of you. What you have to do is stir up the peace. When you look at that scripture and the peace of God that guards your heart and mind, when you look at the scriptures before that, it's telling you what to think on. So if you want to walk in peace and stay at peace, you must control your thought life. You only think of what is good, pure. Let's go there quickly. Philippians 4. Keep your finger in Luke 10. We'll be back there. Philippians 4, verse 8. We'll back up to verse 7 so you can see the scripture I was quoting. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard, seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So if you want to walk in peace, you got to control your mind. You can't just think on every thought that comes into your head and let it dwell there, let it stay there. You have to open your mouth and say something. You must say what the Word says. You must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Timothy 10, 3 and 4. Because if you keep thinking on the wrong things, you'll believe and do the wrong things. You have to renew your mind by the Word of God, and that is a daily process. And if you're going through a tough time, that means you need to do it more than once a day. There are times in life you need to double up, triple up. Getting in the Word won't hurt you more. It only help you. If you want to keep your mind in a tough situation, you must open your mouth and say what the word says and put more word in than you allow trash in. So you're going through a battle, it's not time to watch all the crazy stuff on TV. Because all that's gonna do is feed you with crazy. And you wonder why you see crazy, crazy in, crazy out. Who why is my life like a soap opera? Well, you watch them in the morning or you watch them at night, either way. You are feeding it into yourself, and so it's coming out of your life. Especially if you have no word input. If you only open your scripture when you come to church like once a month or, you know, I know the people here, usually you've come to church more often because you're here on the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. Usually the people who come on that Sunday, those are your committed core. Everyone else is like, well, we'll see you later, Pastor, maybe this summer sometime. But you have to be in the word continually and consistently. That word has to change your mind and come out of your mouth if you want to walk in peace. So Luke 10, verse 19. We'll look back up verse 18. The 70 disciples, not the 12, not the apostles, the 70 people who followed Jesus, lay people, came back and they're rejoicing with all the things that 
they saw God do through them, that they would cast out devils, that the devils would do what they say when they use the name of Jesus. And notice Jesus' response. And Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all. What's left after all? Over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing. That reminds me of Isaiah 54, 14. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you, you shall condemn in judgment, for that is your heritage. And you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No weapon. Now, it doesn't mean the weapon won't be formed, because it will be. It doesn't mean the weapon won't be fired or swung. But it will not be able to complete its intended purpose. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. So go to Matthew 16. What God has already done through the cross, through the resurrection, the ascension, and the seating of Jesus is far greater than what we have allowed it to be in our lives. Matthew 16. Verse 16. Jesus talking to his disciples, having a public relations meeting, saying, who do people say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, you are the Messiah, you are the one who has the anointing, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. And I say also unto you that you are Peter, which means small rock. And upon this rock, this word rock in the Greek means great rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, he's not building the church on Peter. He's building the church on the rock of revelation of Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon that rock of revelation, he will build his church. That should give you confidence because it doesn't matter what goes on in the world, you can count on one thing, Jesus will build his church. He will build you because you are the church. He'll build the local assembly and he'll build the universal church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail or overpower or withhold. The gates of hell will not prevail against them. Now, the thing is, a lot of times we have an incorrect view of the gates of hell in the Scripture. We look at the Scripture, and we see an onslaught coming against us. Every devil, all the demons, all the swarms of hell fighting against us. And in the last day, we stand strong. The gates of hell did not win. But when's the last time you saw gates move? We've been looking at it the wrong way. The gates of hell won't be able to withhold the church. So that means hell cannot limit, keep back the church. The church can bust down the gates of hell. The gates of hell is likened to a vast 
prison where people are kept trapped. There are people living in this world who are trapped in the system of darkness who need the church to kick down some gates and go get them. There are things that Satan has stolen. But it's time for the church to rise up and go into the enemy's camp and get what belongs to you. It's time for settling out. Well, I lost that long ago. Why don't you believe that God is a God of restoration? And if you lost it, it will come back to you. Didn't the Bible says if the thief be found, he has to pay double. And another scripture, if the thief be found, he has to pay seven times and the substance of his house. Don't just settle for getting by. Get everything God promised. Stop leaving stuff on the counter. If you went to whatever fast food restaurant, wherever you were going to eat, and you know the combo included this and included that, it included all these things, included your fries. I'm not talking about food today. It's a good example. Calm down. And you look at your bag and you see your sandwich. You see the drink but you don't see some fries. You are gonna get your fries. Doesn't fries come with this? If you would do that when you're in the line of a fast food restaurant, why can't you do that with your redemption? Doesn't healing come with this? Doesn't deliverance come with this? Doesn't prosperity come with this? Doesn't peace come with this? Doesn't joy come with this? Doesn't my family being whole come with this? Doesn't me advancing in my life come with this? I'm not going to settle anymore. I'm going to get everything Jesus won from me. Get everything that belongs to you. Jesus paid too great of a price for you to leave stuff on the counter and call that false humility. That's not being humble. That's being scripturally illiterate, religiously dumb. There'll be people who say, oh, Lord, don't put on me more than I can bear. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus bore it. So why is he trying to give it to you? Religion will make you stupid. Because religion is not based in the Bible. You've got to look to what the Word says and challenge what your religious thinking is. Remember, it was the religious people who were used by the enemy to try to kill Jesus. They didn't realize that it was all part of God's plan all along, but it was the religious people that opposed Jesus. Stop being religious. Be Word people. Believe the Word. So gates in biblical times, the gates of 45 cities were used to hold councils in and were places of great strength. The machinations, powers, policies, plots, strategies, strength, wisdom, censures, sentence came from those gates. The propaganda machine came from there. So the gates of hell represent Satan's propaganda machine, his efforts of injustice, the financial tactics of hell. Everything, all his wiles, all his strategy we saw in Ephesians 6, all of those things cannot prevail against the church. So go to Mark chapter 4. Almost done. Because if all that I've said is true, and it is, why does it seem that the wiles and the gates of hell seem to beat the average Christian? Why aren't Christians walking in this, in this promised victory? Or is this victory only for a few special believers? Only for a few people that God loves the most? Look at Mark chapter 4. Because although it's promised, 
doesn't mean you'll walk in it. Just because it's God's will doesn't mean his will is automatic. He said in Timothy that it's God's will that all be saved. Now, how many of you know that not everybody will be saved? That's God's desire. Unless people choose to believe what the Word says about salvation, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and God raised Him from the dead, unless they choose to believe that, they won't receive salvation. That's the greatest promise in the book. And that's how the greatest promise works. That's how all the other ones work. You must believe, you must receive, and you must act like it. So Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he, Jesus, began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and he said unto them in his doctrine and his teaching, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's why we say every Sunday and Wednesday, I take ears to hear. And when he was alone, they that were with him, that were about him with the twelve, asked of him the parable. Now, when you look at it, this telling in Luke chapter 8 and in Matthew 13, you'll see it wasn't just the twelve apostles, but you have members of the 70, you have other believers who followed with Jesus, who were part of his ministry team. And they were in position to receive revelation based on how close they walked with him and how they obeyed him. They were givers, they were believers, they were doers, so it opened them up for revelation. Not just hearing it going, oh, that was a good message, and now I know how to live it. Information's great, but revelation's higher. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. We just saw why it's given to them. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be given them. When you look at this in the other Gospels and you look at what he's quoting, it's saying they have made a decision to close their eyes. They made a decision to close their ears. So it's not hidden from you, it's hidden for you. Every mystery of the kingdom of God is hidden for your benefit. And it's for you to access and he said unto them, know you not this parable? How then will you know all parables? This parable is the key to unlocking every parable Jesus taught on this earth. So this parable is the most important parable in the entire Bible. The sower soweth the word. So we see where he's going in this. As a side note, there's three sowers mentioned in Scripture. There's God, there's Satan, and there's you. So now he's talking about the sower sowing the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. When you look at the other tellings in Luke 8, Matthew 13, you see that these people did not want the word. They didn't believe it. 
They didn't understand it. They didn't want it, so they rejected it. And because they rejected it, Satan came along and just picked it up. Why? Because he knows the word is powerful, and if left unchecked working in your life, it would defeat him on every turn. So Satan came to get the word. So you might wonder, it's like, well, I joined this church, and I'm getting the word taught, and it seems like all these issues started coming. Satan comes for the word. He comes to stop the word from working in your life. So when you look at this one here and this next scripture, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they heard the word immediately receive it with gladness. That word gladness also translated as a shout. They receive it with a shout like we were shouting earlier. And have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution rises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, which hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word or crowd out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Notice seven things from this parable alone. The first two issues which kept people from receiving the word, having the word produced in their life, were self-inflicted destruction. Number one, those people did not want the word, didn't understand it, didn't believe it. So it wasn't that Satan made them not believe it. They chose not to believe the word from God. So their hearts were wayside soil. So what type of soil is that? It's the same type of ground, gravel, that's on the side of 285, 75, and 85. How many know that's not good planning for food? You don't do that there. That's the same way Jesus compared their hearts to. Secondly, said the stony ground, they received the word with gladness. That's great. They believed it. They received it. And he studied it out. They had some production because it began to grow. But when affliction and persecution came, it withered away. What happened with these people? They received the word, but they didn't let it go down in the heart. So they believed it, but they didn't act on it. They believed it, but they didn't meditate on it. They didn't speak it. They didn't live it. They just came to church, heard the word, got excited. Yes, it's my breakout year. Yes, it's my great year. And left it at that. So they saw some production come out of their lives. That's how a lot of people are when the word comes forth for New Year's. You'll see some production in January, February, March, and then by April you forget what the God said. Because you have to let it go deep in your heart and remove the rocky places. So the second didn't see the production God intended, because how many know when the sower sows the word or the sower sows anything, he wants production. They didn't see the production that God intended because they didn't act on the word. They didn't let that word direct their daily life. So the first two issues are self-inflicted problems. But the next five are the only tactics and wiles Satan has. Satan only has five tactics. He only has five wiles, only five strategies. And Jesus just told you what they are. The five tactics and wiles are clothing and operate in deceit. The five tactics are affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. Affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, 
and lust of other things. That's the only five tactics Satan has. And if you were to look at your life and analyze your life today, any trial that's coming at you from the enemy, because some things you go in life because you sowed the seed and now you're getting the harvest for. So outside of that, any attack from the enemy in your life can be broken down to one of those five areas or a combination of those five. And what we're going to do in the series is we're going to examine all five of those, what it really is, what is affliction, what is persecution, what are the cares of this world, what is deceitfulness of riches, what is lust of other things. We're going to look at it, help you analyze it in your life, and show you what the Word says how to beat it. Because remember, we said you have to know who you are. You're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You have to know your enemy. We know who he is. Now we know his playbook. And if you know how to defeat every play in the playbook, you walk in victory every day of your life. So then you can fight the good fight of faith and lay hold onto eternal life. Because everything Satan does is deceiving. He's trying to make you think that you're not a conqueror, that you're not a winner, that he has all the power. But he's a lie. Everything he says is lies. So whatever affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness, or riches, or lust, other things he sins are rooted in lies. So whatever you're facing in life, Satan's telling you you can't win. That's a lie. It's like an old song we used to sing in the early 80s and the early 90s. The devil said, what? And our response, that refrain is you would laugh at it. Because you know if the devil said it, that means it's not going to happen. That means what God said will come to pass. So in this series, we're going to teach you how to fight effectively so that you can win every single day of your life, how you can stand for your own healing, and how to beat every play in the enemy's book because you are more than a conqueror. So fight the good fight of faith because you are promised victory. God has already given you the victory. So what you do now is you enforce the victory. You enforce the victory on the defeated foe, and he enforce it by defeating his five strategies. We're going to look through different examples in the Word of God, even the churches in the book of Revelation, those seven churches. You'll see what strategies Satan did to attack them. But why did Jesus always say to them, to them that overcome? doesn't matter what Satan threw at them. God had a plan and a strategy for their victory. doesn't matter what you're facing today. God has a plan and a strategy for your victory. And we'll pick it up from here next time. Stand to your feet. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.